Hi, I'm Gene Dykes, and I am most definitely an old crazy runner. everybody to another episode of Old Crazy Runners. I am Nicholas, the oldest of the Old Crazy Runners, and I am joined by my cousin Fundy, the cheater. <laughs> of the Old Crazy Runners? Oh man, you're going to want to stick around for Gene Dykes, who has broke the 50k world record for plus 70, and he ran a little faster than we did. But before we talk with Gene, make sure you take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Tell all your friends. Let's keep growing this community. And be sure to head on over to Strava and join because you can see that Tim Larkin listens to the podcast but doesn't listen to our advice. I will say this, though. I am very excited for uh, our Midwest chapter to join us out here for Hood to Coast. It's uh, getting near. We're going to get our start time soon. It's only a few weeks away, and it's actually the next thing on our calendar because we ran one of the coolest one-day relays this past weekend, the Hood to Coast Windy River Relay in Hood River. And it was awesome, and I can tell you the cheater shoes worked. They did work, and it was fucking hot out there. It was hot. And we knew it was going to be hot. We did it last year, and you just can't ever really plan for that it crushed uh our three four and five runners on that second leg they were just beat the hell up because of it yeah it was hot out there and it's just so exposed it's just like the sun it feels like the sun has the most direct route to you when you're out there on the side of the mountain it's going from the sun directly through your brain onto the asphalt and then back up in your face you <laughs> didn't experience a whole lot of that because you weren't out there very long you I had your cheater shoes on. And you're, uh, like, on the gazelles, springing <laughs> away. Well, also, uh, my two legs did not add up to one leg that I ran for Seabrook, too. I just, everybody wanted harder legs, so I'm like, okay, I'll take the easy one. Uh, I uh, did not have that same go-around. I had the longest two legs, but I'll tell you what, it was, uh, it was good. It was a really enjoyable race. One of my favorites. I am definitely a huge fan of these one days. There's a whole different mentality to running with one van, six people, and being done in that short amount of time. You know what I'm a fan of? What are you a fan of? Being able to cook grilled cheese mid-race. Oh, your grilled cheese. I'm a little sad I wasn't in your, your van so because good. of that. That goes back to our moment at the Eugene Marathon where I, I wish I would have paid attention to who the company was, but it was a, a local bakery and they were, you know, on site pushing for their bread and they were doing that by making grilled cheese and those things were, they couldn't make them fast enough. And oh it my was, God. and they ran out experience. It is so good. It's so good when you're tired like that, just, just eat that grilled cheese and chocolate milk. Oh man. Sign me up. But we did, uh, we did all right. We didn't do as good as you guys did. You brought in the ringer, Mark Scott coming in, crushing it. You coming in with some, some low, uh, paces and, uh, you know, everybody went out there and just did their best. We had a new van member, uh, Julia Canfield. I like to dub her as the beta tester for young people mixing with old people. Oh. 
It was, uh, and here's a perfect example of that. The first thing that came to my mind was the old Sesame Street. One of these things is not like the other. Exactly. And that would, you could tell. She would have no idea what that reference is. Yeah, so it was basically a brand new modern house just built along a row of old barns. <laughs> so oh, here's man. an example of the conversation. So here's, here's an example of the conversation. So Mark and I are hanging out a lot just because we, uh, you know, are, are, we're, we ran next to each other. And so here is Julia, and she's like, she's like stretching. She was stretching hours before her legs. Hours. Like she was like two runners away and she's stretching, right? Yeah. We're like, what are you doing? She's like, well, I got to stretch out. I got to make sure I activate my glutes. And Mark and I turned to each other and was like, our glutes haven't been activated since the early 90s. What are you talking about? Oh, that is hilarious. You know what? She obviously is not an old crazy runner because if she'd listened to our podcast, she would have heard some of our physical therapists and physiologists talk about the benefits of stretching and why you can't actually do that much more in about 20 minutes beforehand. All that stretching, it's really not helping that next run. Sorry to say. She doesn't care. She's yeah. like two years old. <laughs> she would just look at me and go, whatever, old guy. She would, she would probably whatever, call me a boomer. She'd say, okay, boomer. And I'd be like, I'm not a boomer. That's my goddamn dad. I'm Gen X, baby. Exactly. <laughs> Our music was so much better than theirs. So much. Uh, well, you know, while we were doing a paltry uh, 62, 63 miles as a six-person team, there were a number of really, really exciting things happening in the ultra world in the last couple of weeks. A lot going on. Uh, I was hoping you were you used the word litany. There was a litany of stuff oh, going litany. on. Yes. Uh, Hard Rock it. 100 records fall. Killian Jornet and Courtney Dewalter uh, basically just decided to crush everyone's souls and then jump up and town up, jump up and down on them and chew them up and spit them out. Well, I love how they have to qualify it as the clockwise course. And I remember when we uh, talked with our good friend Mike Arrett, uh, who, by the way. Let's a uh, little shout out. We got the Dig Your Grave. He's hosting that this weekend, this Saturday. It's going to kick off on the 30th. Wish him the best of luck and everyone out there going out there crushing what uh, we unfortunately never found out to be just how difficult it was. But he's ran the, the hard rock and he talks about the importance of which direction you're running and why they call that out. Finishing times of 21, 36, 24, 21, 36. 21 hours. What is he? This, what this he, what got pace like 45, is that? 45,000 feet of climb. <laughs> it's, it's got so much climb, you don't even need to talk about the actual feet. You basically, you just go up and down Everest, Everest a few times. Yeah, when you, when you talk about your amount of climb in the X factor of how many Everests. Uh, you may not know this, uh, but Killian Jornet uh, holds a record for actually climbing Everest. We mentioned Everest. Uh, so he went from base camp to the top of Everest in just 26 hours. Uh, but he had some stomach issues, so he tried to do it again just days later. Like literally a couple days later, he went and climbed it again from advanced base camp in 17 hours. So the idea of, of looking <laughs> at hard rock and thinking of that as a factor of Everest, he's like, yeah, and yeah, should I bring an and, extra sandwich? Oh, also, I forgot to mention he did it without oxygen both times all the way to the top. It's, it's, it's amazing. So yeah, 21 hours, 
Uh, Courtney went out and finished it in 26.44 for the women's record. Amazing, amazing times. And yet, I'm not even sure those two stand apart as far as the most awesome, awesome ultra finishes out there uh, within that same time frame. And I'm going to kick it off. Hats off. Bob Becker, 77 years old, recognized as the record holder for the oldest finisher in the Badwater 135. And if you haven't seen the video of him crossing the finish line, get your box of Kleenex. We'll have a link. It's amazing. Not only Bob Becker, but also Ashley Paulson at Badwater. And this one was interesting because it's, it was contested. Her first ever 100-miler run, and she won Badwater in 24 hours, 9 minutes, and 34 seconds. And you'll love this. This is why it was contested, why people were like, wait, we got to look at the GPSs. So uh, Yoshi Ishikawa, Go Japan, who won uh, Badwater this year, the final, uh, the final section, the split time uh, was four hours and 13 minutes, which was a total of 18% of the, his total time, right? So basically, the last split, he went really slow. Well, Ashley's last split, she did the same distance in two hours and 47 minutes, so almost an hour and a half faster than the actual winner. And so that's why people are like, there's no way. Uh, but they pulled out her GPS, followed along, and unless she uh, jumped on top of a, a dragon and flew to the finish, uh, she ran the thing. Uh, we should also point out that not only did she finish, she set the course record for in her first ever 100 and at the Hard Rock. Th- those, um, those are some bona fides right there. They are. And uh, whether they uh, completely verify it or not, there's going to be people talking shit online about that one forever. Right. And let me qualify. I said that that was the hard rock. I've got him confused. That was the bad water. Don't want to shortchange her the 135 miles running from the bottom, the pit, the absolute depth of hell in Death Valley where it's still hotter than it is here or in the Midwest. And you thought Medford, Oregon was the armpit of the world. No, it's the bottom of bad water. No, okay, first of all, let us just make sure that everybody out there knows that Medford, Oregon still is the armpit of all of <laughs> Don't That's go there. That's probably true. <laughs> we don't have any 100-miler super-duper road races going out of Medford, Oregon. Although, you know what? They need to do some sort of ultra around Crater Lake. I'm surprised that they haven't done something with that because uh, oh, that I think would there be is. pretty awesome. Didn't Gene Dykes talk about Crater Lake at one point? I think there's something. Maybe not. He might have. He has ran around a lot of mountains, uh, including Mount Hood, and uh, recently up in Washington and Mount Rainier. He did, and unfortunately, after seventy miles, he DNF'd. But his daughter uh, finished in a, a faster time than either Nicholas and I can ever dream of finishing, probably. Yeah. So Erica Mitchell, thirty-one uh, hours, twenty-three minutes, twenty seconds. I. Just that you ultra runners out there, I a tip of the hat to every single one of you. I don't know how you do it, let alone just sticking on it. It's unfortunate that Gene didn't finish the Cascade Crest this year. I'm sure he's got a buckle already under his belt for that one. But I bet he's more proud to have been there and to know that his daughter ran out 
and uh, is carrying on the legacy that is the Gene Dykes lineage. We had a chance to hang out with the legend Gene Dykes at Hood to Coast, hopped in our van, drove home, and slept on Nicholas's couch. You're going to love this conversation. Let's get to it. Gene Dykes, it is fantastic to uh, have you back on the podcast. Thanks for joining us. It's certainly a pleasure to be here again. So I would also like to thank you for wearing a very uh, Oregonian running shirt. I'm not sure if that, I don't think that race is in Oregon, but the Bigfoot 200, we love our Bigfoot talk here in Oregon. Yeah, it's not too far from, uh, not too far from Oregon. Yeah. It's, where uh, was that race? It starts uh, on the southern flanks of Mount St. Helens. So uh, you can probably see it from Portland. Oh, yeah. So up in Washington. So the, all of the Northwest Bigfoot go back and forth between Oregon and Washington. So mm-hmm. it's, you know, basically the same. And they just swimming across the Columbia there, just, you know, indiscreetly. Well, they take the bridge sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> well, the canoe. Gene, we had the chance to uh, run into you recently, and I want to kick this off exploring uh, your take on the race that we love the most, the Hood to Coast Relay, and just talk more about uh, how that fit your running versus uh, the ultras and the other things that you uh, do so much of. Well, it's kind of odd that uh, it hadn't been on my radar before. It, it took somebody trying to put together the you know, a team of 70-year-olds to uh, to uh, get me to go there, and certainly glad I did. Uh, what a great time. It is a, it is a great race. Yeah, you, you, but you're right. It is different than ultras. Uh, you know, I ran about 21 miles altogether, and they warned me, and they were right, it's way harder to run 21 miles with eight-hour breaks between your segments <laughs> than it is to just run 21 straight miles. It's uh, it it really did me in. Uh, unfortunately, I'm still suffering the after effects, and uh, my upcoming races are in uh, in jeopardy. I'm afraid. Oh no! What what happened? Uh, let's see. Uh, on that leg that goes over the summit of the uh, of the mountains, there. Uh, yeah, twenty nine. Yeah, it was. Uh, I don't know. I started hurting my hamstring on the way up. And then it was really hurting on the way down, but uh, there was just no way I could slow down going down that hill. <laughs> and uh, and that was my third leg. But Amby Burfoot, his hamstring was hurting even worse than mine, so I had to run his leg. And, uh, and well, it's been hurting ever since. Uh, you know, I rest yeah. up a little and it seems to go away, but as soon as I do any speed at all, it, it starts hurting. So... Yeah, that hamstring is, that's a challenging uh, injury to get through because you're straining it with everything you do every single day. And mm-hmm. uh, the only thing you can give it is rest. And a couple times that I uh, strained or pulled my hamstring, it lingered forever because I just didn't stop. That's mm-hmm. the hardest part. Uh, and I want to emphasize that after getting crushed on one of the hardest legs of Hood to Coast, you picked up a fourth. Just on the whim to help somebody else that that's a, that's a, that's a pretty good thing as well. Well, they warned me that, uh, I might have to fill in for somebody. And, uh, at the time I hadn't run that third leg yet. And I said, 
Well, certainly I can run another leg. I, I do 100 <laughs> milers all the time. I'll do all the remaining legs if you want. You know? Right. But, but then after that third leg, uh, I had a choice between four and seven, and uh, and uh, I definitely took the four because I was I was just about out of it at that point. So I have an idea here. So uh, Nicholas and Gene, I'd love to get your opinions on this. So uh, for people don't know, each van has six people, and each person runs up approximately five or six miles, right? And and you're switching off, and that's yeah. kind of the hard part. So I, I wonder if we got, if Gene, uh, yourself, and then maybe two other people of your choosing, and instead of the usual way to do it, um, Gene ran all of the legs of van one right in a row, and then the next time another person ran all of the next legs, and then the third person ran all of the next legs, if that might actually be easier for Gene and uh, ultra runners like him. Oh, I'm going to go with yes, and I'm I'm not even qualified to give that answer. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think about that, Gene? Yeah, I definitely ran, rather run it all at once. I suspect it has to do with the fact that uh, when you're only running five miles, you 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 push it, and uh, and uh, theoretically, you're mm-hmm. going faster than you would if you ran them ran them all straight. But I'm not sure that's all there is to it. It it it's just harder for some reason. Well, and also it, when uh running that if i think you ran that uh leg over the coastal range about the same time that i did and uh you're going in really cold like it was cold out there when you're in a van you don't have that much time to stretch and warm up even though you don't stretch but you're going in really cold and you're just really hitting it hard going up that hill yeah possibly uh it uh it was a tough hill but uh I guess I don't usually mind hills that much. I'm I'm much better on flat, but oh, I guess maybe next time I'll take a different leg. <laughs> well, I'll, uh, I'll skip leg five next time. Uh, I think it's what we haven't touched on here, which and it's definitely going to be my opinion always. The hardest thing about hood to coast is the van, and what that having to get into a sitting position for potentially hours. And then having to come out of that almost immediately and start running and then doing that two times, that's the strain because you just get really tight and then you go and run, you get really tight. And it's that tightening up that you have to be mindful of. And, you know, there's things that we've learned along the way. You got to have your massage guns, your rollers and that sort of thing. It's also nice to have a van that you can stand in or lay flat so that you have an opportunity at some point to not have to just get in that sitting position. And also we were fortunate with uh, our timing that we got two breaks. So in between the handoffs, we were able to come back to my house um, as always between one and two. So in the first third of the race, you get a shower, you get a, a full meal, you get a lay down and nap. And then we got that same thing um, after our second leg as well. And just being able to keep the body from having to be in that contained uh, position makes a huge difference in the longevity of that race. And I have no doubt that your hamstrings were hampered because you didn't have, you, you, you put them in that sitting position longer than you, you do during a normal sort of a race like this. Hmm. Well, okay. You've convinced me I'm switching teams next year. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we have some openings. <laughs> That's right. And we also have uh, breakfast burritos. Yeah, we do. Mm-hmm. Um, although I think, uh, man, 
we'll have to convince Gene to slow down a little bit. So that's that's the detriment of having pe- fast people on your team is that you don't get as much rest between the legs <laughs> and the vans. So ideally, you definitely want the other van that you're not in to be full of uh, people who are not super fast, that you just have time to kind of recuperate a little bit. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to give a shout out you, to the person on our team who is actually the fastest. She ran her legs faster than all of us, Jeannie Rice. She was uh, really strong out there every, every segment. And she ran a uh, fourth leg, too. Yeah, Jeannie is a kick. Jeannie's going to be on the podcast uh, mm-hmm. in about a month or so. Um, she's crazy. So let's let's back uh, up. Hold, a little hold on a second. I, we... I, I don't want to. I want to make one final comment on Jeannie. Uh, so yep. we ran into uh, you uh, later in the day after our teams had finished on Saturday, Sunday morning. You brought uh, Jeannie and Ambi and uh, another Jean and somebody else. I know I'm forgetting. We just had a nice cup of coffee and all that. Everyone's relaxing. And the only thing that I noticed was the one person who actually went out and had a run was Jeannie. <laughs> she went out and had a run in the she, morning. Yeah, up. just, <laughs> hey, today is Sunday. It doesn't matter what I So, yeah, it looked great. Um, so I'm not surprised to hear that she ran an additional leg and also the fastest uh, of all because she definitely looked like she was ready to go. Mm-hmm. And she's probably going to stomp me at the London Marathon in a few weeks. Ah, <laughs> uh, well. Man, I, I think that's going to be a good battle, too. If, uh, if she does stomp you, I'll send you a box of Kleenex and you can. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be so happy uh, t- before we leave Hood to Coast, what were your favorite things about uh, a relay? Because I know that you haven't done a lot of these in the past. What were your favorite things about the Hood to Coast? Well, the funny thing is I did another relay just a couple of days ago. It, uh, it's a relay all the way from New York to Los Angeles called the, uh, the Great American Relay. And again, I had to do about six miles. Uh, but that was the only one, so, uh, so it was easy. But uh, yeah, the, I guess that was probably my first uh, relay in about as long as I can remember. And it was just as I expected it, that I, I jumped in a van with uh, five strangers and jumped out of the van at the end with uh, five friends. And that's yeah. the whole reason you do these things. It's it, uh, just so much fun running with a, with a group. Yeah, that's, that's my favorite thing about it is just that uh, we all love running and the races and everything, but it, it gives you that chance to make uh, running a group activity, uh, which doesn't happen often. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the runs are just what you do in between hanging out with your bandmates. Or listen to them snore. Oh man, that's going to happen no matter what. Oh, it is. Okay, I'm switching back to my original team now. (laughs) If you're not a fan of snoring, our van is not the place for you. Always trade-offs. You want to lay down flat? Well, someone's going to snore. So uh, you mentioned you got the the London coming up. Is that your next race, the marathon in in London? Oh, I have a race this Sunday. Um, It's a 12K the national championship race. Uh, I had uh, high hopes for these next three races coming up at the beginning of the season. Um, I thought the uh, national and world records in the 12K were going to be pretty easy, but now I'm not sure. If I get off the starting line, I'm not sure I'll reach the finish line. Uh, London, same thing. I hope to be in, in, uh, in record-setting 
tape, but that's not going to happen. And then there's Boston the week after London. Uh, and uh, except for a few local races, uh, that'll be it for the season. So uh, if I'm correct, the that's you have the London in two weeks then? Two weeks from uh, yeah, Sunday? Two weeks from this weekend. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, because I uh, remember the Boston this year is the week after the Portland. So I'll, we'll be running. Well, we would be, except for hernia boy here had to drop out because he also <laughs> hurt himself at Hood to Coast. Got a hernia and had to mm. DQ from the Portland Marathon. But that's uh, in a couple weeks. And um, similarly, it's just going to be uh, a finishing time. Looking forward to just getting out there and, and having a good race. Yeah. Well, probably uh get through it somehow I've, yeah I've, so uh, uh you know i can hear the disappointment in your voice because you had these high hopes what uh you know what are what do you go through when you have these injuries that kind of have derailed your goals and you know how do you uh what's your mental strategy or thought process to to get past those hurdles and uh, you know what's your what's your thoughts on that oh i guess uh I'm already resigned. I mean, what will be, will be. Uh, after you've lost a whole year of races to COVID, you know, what's another couple of races? <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I, uh, you know, right now it's the uncertainty of how hard do I run? Uh, maybe the magic of the starting gun will fix everything. I went into Hood to Coast with two injuries and never felt either of them during the entire time. So, uh, if I ever write a book, it'll be called Injuries Are Weird because <laughs> just, you know, here I have two injuries going into a race like that and it's hard and I never feel them, but I pick up new injuries. And yeah, uh, yeah it's just uh, just strange. So uh, I'm still hoping maybe they'll just disappear when the gun goes off. Well, I'm, uh, I like that philosophy. I'm pretty sure that if we tracked our uh runs over our lifetime more than 50 percent of them were something hurt <laughs> mm-hmm. we're always running towards that magical moment when we've got just a week or two where nothing hurts and we run great and then all of a sudden especially after 50 uh you know that's all you get that's your window friend and and mm-hmm. uh you're not going to do anything different but i'm just going to hurt because you're 50 well some injuries you can run through some you can't uh, sometimes hard to tell the difference. So let's back up a little bit and talk about your uh, new, new-ish world record uh, with the 50K. Tell us about that race. Uh, let's see. Right. That was in uh, on Long Island. Uh, and yeah, I'd been looking forward to that. It was, it was kind of low-hanging fruit as far as world record goes. Uh, as you know, I've been faced with the task of trying to match the records of Ed Whitlock. And I mean, he holds 36 world records, so that's a lot of different records to, to shoot. At. <laughs> yeah. But uh, most of them are, are pretty small targets. Uh, uh, his marathon records are about the only ones I have a shot at. He was so fast at shorter races. Uh, I just can't dream of beating them. So looking around for records I could set, I noticed that he never ran an ultra marathon. <laughs> so uh, without Ed to set the record in the 50K, it was it was uh, pretty easy. If you look at my times in the marathon versus the 50K, 
you'll see that I was considerably slower in the 50k and yet uh, and yet uh, you know beat the record by by quite a bit so uh, I think it's still low-hanging fruit for for somebody in the future I think there's a lot more there'll be a lot more older guys going after ultra records uh, so I don't expect it to stand uh, all that long so you kind of downplayed that quite a bit, but I'd like to go over the times and the pace uh, for a guest out there so that they can realize that, no, this is not low-hanging fruit for the majority of the population. So what was your what was your time, and what did that pace work out to be for your 50K, where you set oh, the world let's record? let's see. I guess my time was, I think, 3.53, I believe, something like that. Pace mm, must have been about uh, 7.40. I think a little over 740. You know, uh, I should uh, should have warned me. I would have had the numbers right at my right at hand. That's a, um, that's okay. I think Nicholas is looking it up right well, now. To be, <laughs> let's see. I'm actually I'm, I'm looking up Ed's numbers. <laughs> uh, yeah, it sounds about right because I remember when I hit the marathon mark. Uh, I turned the marathon at three hours and twenty minutes. So I think that pacing sounds about sounds about right. Yep. And uh, uh, seven thirty seven. Seven thirty seven. Yeah. Three fifty six. Yeah, I remember uh, thinking, "Oh, you know, that's a three twenty marathon. I've still got five miles to go." So that was unknown territory there. <laughs> <laughs> every fifty k yeah, before had been a trail race. You know, where uh, you every know, word in that to, sentence was. <laughs> something I'd never heard before. That's a 3:20 marathon. Fantastic. Uh, that is an amazing pace, and um, certainly, certainly well done. Uh, so, Fundy, remember the um, uh, race for the cure 5K that I made you throw up at? I did not throw up. I almost threw up. Okay. Oh, you. All didn't right, we'll give you that. Enough. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we, I think I, the I world according say, to Gene Dykes. I want to say we barely broke twenty-five minutes on that. It was close. We did. Yeah, we, we did. barely broke twenty-five minutes. Um, on five so minutes. just for some perspective, at eighty-five, Ed ran a uh, twenty-four oh three five k. So at at eighty-five at years 80, old, eighty-five years old. Mm-hmm. So slow poke. Yeah, pick it up there, Fundy. <laughs> you got you got some ground again. Uh, so all I got to do is maintain my pace as I age. I don't have to get faster. Ooh, man. Well, I appreciate that those shorter distances are uh, unique challenges as well. So um, sticking with what is in your wheelhouse is definitely the way to go. So do you have, uh, obviously, you, you, you're restructuring your races uh, along these lines, but you did mention you have some targets of Ed's that you definitely want to go down. What are some of the other records that he has that you think you can um, eclipse? Well, you know, we're pretty much restricted to the marathon. Um uh next year would be my last chance to get the uh official uh world record for the that age group but uh, there's also each year there's a single age record and he pretty much has almost all of those um you know they're all they're all they're all possible but now i'm before i never have to used to worry whether i would be you know in shape for him this is the first year i've really really not been ready for a uh, you know a major attempt i guess there is one other probably because he didn't run it there often the 8k yeah, 8k is 
kind of a rarish race. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think his time is beatable. I came within uh, oh, a couple seconds of it just a few years ago, not knowing at the time that uh, it was it was in range. So uh, maybe I'll try and get my speed down. But boy, I hate training for for speed workouts. Uh, not 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 where I have a lot of fun. It is um, a harder pounding on the body to push that speed than it is to get into that longer distance. Well, with longer distances, you can have fun the whole way. You know, 8K and 5K, you know, you're just having a hell of a time the whole way. <laughs> you know, there isn't any, any time you can enjoy the, enjoy the experience. So... What other uh, fun races have you done this year? Because I know with the whole year off of uh, COVID races, this year um, seemed like you were really hopping in and trying to do as many uh, races as you could. And it looks like you also did a bunch of really fun ones. Well, I I did have a full schedule. I've been uh, racing frequently ever since last December. Uh, This year I had uh, two 200-milers that, uh, I was pointing towards, and I thought I trained pretty well for them. But I told myself, if I can't finish these 200 milers, I'm going to be uh, done with 200 milers. Maybe I'm just just uh, too old for them. First one was the Cocodona 250, and you know I was ready for the heat. I was ready for the big climbs. I was ready for that 250 miles. But what I wasn't ready for was the terrible footing on uh, most oh, of the right. course it was uh you know the, i saw that a lot of the course was you know backcountry uh roads or jeep roads you know and i thought well if you have run on those a lot of time you can really pick up a lot of time there but it all of them were just coated in in rubble mm. uh, big stones small stones there was just uh, no way to maintain any kind of a pace on it if i could if i could run it all uh boy it really came to a head when i got we came over this ridge and we looked down and we saw this beautiful road just winding down and i knew it was like eight or ten miles to the town we could see in the distance and i thought oh at last and looking down on it look the road just looked smooth as all get out but nope all (laughs) rubble Uh, it was just just terrible so uh because of that i was pulling into aid stations with just you know a couple hours before the cut and, and you can only keep that up so long before you're not getting enough sleep i probably could have made another aid station or two but uh you know there's just no way you can keep going with no sleep so you know i packed it in after about a uh, 130 miles uh, so then i was going to bigfoot which i knew was a lot easier because i i finished bigfoot four years ago and didn't have that hard of a time doing it. So, but this year's Bigfoot was not the Bigfoot that I remembered from four years ago. For starters, it was hotter, and everybody was estimating that that was going to add about like six hours to uh, most people's time. Well, if you had six hours to the back of a Packers time, you know, you're out. Yeah, yeah. And I, I don't have as much trouble with heat as a lot of people. So I think uh, I wasn't losing that much time. I was going okay. And then I got to 
then we're into the deep woods from being out in the heat heat wasn't a big problem anymore because it's it's really cool when you're uh, in deep old growth forest and a little higher altitude but there were trees down uh, all over the course and i had heard that they were really bad later on in the race so the first section where i had to run into down trees you know they just brought me to a dead halt every time i came to a tree now you might think you might think well why don't you just go around the tree you know no. it, it's impenetrable it just there is just absolutely no way to get your way through that except where the trail is and uh, if there's a tree over it uh, you've got to find a way through the tree and oh i found a way through the tree but it took me 15 minutes to do that you know you have to you know step up with your left foot and then sort of turn 180 and then step down with your right foot then up to another branch take your pack off and hand it down and and uh and then usually it involved jumping down into the shrubs at the end and you know i've heard of people getting impaled that way and uh yeah and and it was just so so hard that i went from thinking i was going to make it at the beginning of that leg to to knowing that uh you know, i was only a half hour ahead of the cut and i still had a little under 100 miles to go and the trees were supposed to get much worse later on so uh so I packed it in. I said, well, that's it. No more 200s. And then I stopped and said, no, wait a minute. Those 200s were by far the hardest 200s I've ever seen. And uh, so, so I immediately resolved, I'll, I might try one again next year. Except maybe 300, 300 miler instead. You know, maybe 300 <laughs> is more my sweet spot than 200. Who knows? Oh, I think uh, uh, avoiding the 200 mile obstacle course might just be enough uh you know that the first one in particular i mean you you mentioned in the the bigfoot there had already been a lot of chatter about the the down trees and you know again until you've actually experienced a large old growth down tree it's hard to imagine what it means to actually go up and over and they are incredibly dangerous you don't just casually make your way over you you better be paying attention uh but at least you knew that somewhat you might not have recognized the degree, but the word had been out there. But to step into that first race with the full anticipation that you're not running on probably one of the worst surfaces you could. I mean, those uneven rocks in different sizes, I mean, that's ankle breakers. That's just putting a lot of strain on the muscles in your feet that don't want that sort of strain. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly so much more of an environmental impact than I would say your ability to have run 200 miles. Mm. Well, but there's a lesson to be learned here because I only finished 130 miles of that. But for both of those races, that was 130 marvelous miles. <laughs> I mean, it's just yeah. unbelievable scenery and uh, and you're getting, you know, most of that experience. You know, you're not quite getting all the sleep deprivation that uh, you would get if you kept on going. But it's uh, it's worth entering, even if you can't finish these. Uh, just, you know, if you think you have any chance at all of finishing a 200, get out there and do it. Don't wait until you're sure. I mean, the worst you can do is have 130 miles of fun. That's a, uh, that's, that's a great point. And, uh, I, I would very, very pleased with myself if I could get 130 miles in. And call it fun. Mm. Yeah. And call it, I'm sure it'd be fun on some level. I totally agree. 
so here I've talked about a lot of these failures. I did, I did have a really great experience at a uh, Western States qualifier. It was uh, six days after that road 50K, so I was tired going in. And this is really just about my only chance to qualify for Western States. It was the Mohican 100 in Ohio. And uh, an interesting course, five loops, five 20-mile loops. Uh, and I started a little tired and got tireder. And I came in at the end of the fourth loop thinking for sure that I'd missed the cutoff. And I was mentally prepared to just pack it in. You know, when you're really that tired, you almost start hoping you'll miss the cutoff because you don't want the agony of doing another loop. <laughs> Only to find that, no, no, you can still go out. You got 15 minutes to, you know, get out of this aid station. So, you know, instantly I I got the resolve to go out there again, and I said, I'm going to try something different. Uh, you know, instead of, you know, just trying to keep that easy pace going, I'm going to pick it up, and lo and behold, I felt better when I picked up the pace, and it only took. Oh, eight miles before I made up. I, you know, I had been a half hour on pace behind the cutoff for the final, and uh, I made all of that up and more, and uh, end up finishing about a half hour ahead of the final cutoff. Uh, so I, I felt uh, really, really good about that. That it was the first hundred where instead of slowing down in the last twenty miles, I I sped up, and uh, so I'll have to try that again sometime when I'm starting to slow down, just maybe running faster will feel better. I, I don't think it's a great theory, but I'll probably <laughs> Well, that is, that is interesting. And, and do you have any thoughts about, you, you know, maybe why mentally that helped you or, you know, maybe uh, just how you were able to do that and pick up the pace when you thought you were just getting slower and mm. slower and tired? Well, it's possible that it was only, it was merely the fact that when you get up close to a cutoff, you get scared. You get adrenaline, and uh, you can run. You can run faster than the, than you thought possible. The best example of that I can think of was the 200 miler I did in Australia. I was about 120 miles in, and uh, you know, running along, and you know, just just barely, you know, you know, running and walking and running and walking and thinking, man, this is as fast as I can go. And then the phone goes off in my backpack, and you know, so I haul it off, and because I knew this, you know, had to be something important. It was the race director calling me, and he says, "You missed the last aid station." And I said, "But I'm with a sweeper. He told me there was no aid station there." And he says, "And he says, I don't care if it was our sweeper that told you that. You've got to go back." Oh and, man. <laughs> Oh, so here I've been going for an hour and a half or two hours past that aid station. And, and you know, I wasn't that far ahead of the cutoff, but I had to go back. And I had this powerful surge of adrenaline. I, I ran back like, like I was at the beginning of the race. And, and as soon as I got back to the point where I had sort of done my round trip, well, then I was back to normal again, running <laughs> and walking. But boy... As long as I was making up that missed aid station, I was just, you wouldn't believe, you know, how much energy you can get from being scared. And, uh, it definitely and how was. did you miss the aid station? 
Was there just a different offshoot trail no, or what happened? I wasn't looking hard because they said it wasn't there. So I wasn't watching my watch carefully, but it was kind of funny. We had been running on the beach for over an hour and then it was just a, a left turn and up over some sand dune. And uh, it wasn't, it wasn't obvious. There are no signs that you can see. And uh, well, I, you know, it just goes to show you just can't, Take somebody else's word for it. I should have kept an eye on my uh, the map on my watch and uh, said, "Hey, look, guys! Uh, of course, says we go over there, and uh, yeah, that would have that would have done it." So I took responsibility. Uh, you just can't in a trail race. You can't follow the guy ahead of you or even the guys with you. You've got to got to trust your own own navigating. So that was one question I I did have with a lot of these. Uh ultra distance races and you mentioned looking at your watches do do most of these ultra distance races have uh pre-made maps that you can download and put on your watch well and... if they don't they should unfortunately uh, pretty much all these really long races all these 200 milers have had gpx files uh, uh of course you can't count on them being accurate uh at the uh, bigfoot 200 there was at one point where the flags went one way and the gpx file went another uh, i followed the flags and mm. uh, the people who followed their gpx file came in saying that they had feared for their lives because it was a, a trail that had been washed out and uh, yeah certainly glad i didn't go that way well, we and had that experience you. a couple times yeah. running with uh, Fundy and Ben. And uh, if I'm remembering it correctly, it was Fundy that would be going down a lane and Ben be, mm, no, no, I'm pretty sure the watch, watch has yeah. this going over here. And anytime we had to backtrack, it was because we didn't listen to Ben first. Uh, but a good point <laughs> that, and you know, you might be the one that is incorrect Right. I mean, you, 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 you say you got to follow your watch versus the runner in front of you, runner behind you, but it's also probably, is it helpful to have different opinions at forks in the road? Or do you just like, I don't even want to know what anybody else is thinking. I'm going to just do my own thing. Uh, well, in the middle of a 200, I've always told people never underestimate how stupid you can get. So, <laughs> so yes, it, Probably one of the few times where a committee decision might be uh, might be better than than your own than your own judgment. Uh, for instance, no matter how positive I am where everything is in my pack, the one hint that I try and pass on to people: make an inventory of what's in each pocket in your pack, and that's the first thing you go to when you need to find something. Because otherwise, you'll say, "I don't know where that is," and you'll just you know you spend ten minutes rummaging around your pack trying to find something that you could have found instantly if you'd have uh, kept track of it. Um, you're reminding me, though, that uh, before every one of these long trail races, you get these people say, oh, but I'm so worried about bears, or I'm so worried about uh, you know this and that. And there's one thing you have to be worried about, and that's you. you know? I mean, mm. you're going to make you're going to make stupid decisions out there. And I don't know it's probably 999 times out of a thousand. If something really goes badly wrong out there, it's your fault. And definitely not because you ran into a bear. 
Right. So or if you ran into the bear, it's because the mistake you made prior to that. <laughs> yeah. If it's not, if it's, you know, yeah, there's no two ways about it. Worry about how you are going to react out there. And uh, there's nothing external that's, that, that's going to bring you down if, if you've got your wits about you. So Nicholas and I would have an advantage on these uh, races because we're both really, uh, we have a lot of experience with making stupid decisions. So we would <laughs> right. be really so, ready for those going forward. So you, you recognize them when they come along, or Pro- at least eventually. I would hope so at this point in life. Yeah, the challenge that we bring is that a decision by committee is we ultimately follow the worst of the committee at each junction and alternate between. So <laughs> one of us has got the right answer, but we don't, we don't pick we that don't listen to that guy. No. <laughs> uh, I want to go back just a little bit. So which, uh, which watch do you like using uh, for your trail races and, and, um, and, and map reading? Well, I mean, there are, people are always, that's another common question you'll see, which is the best watch? Uh, well, Garmin has the ability to download courses and overlay them on a map, and that's pretty much, sets it apart from some of the other watches. And so I keep buying their newest versions because each one has a better battery. And I have the Fenix 6X now, and it'll go 36 hours between charges. So, uh, which is really makes it easy to, to, to do during a 200. You only have to charge it once or twice in the finished grass. It used to be a constant struggle to get, keep my watch charged. and uh and i have to try and stitch together different files after it in other races or just missed out whole sections it's really nice to have a have a watch that'll last uh, a really long time so for now uh it's the fenix 6x uh there's some things about it i don't like uh, but uh, if you switch to another one, you know, you're trading the devil you know for the devil you don't know. So. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, I think the uh, Phoenix also just came out one with that has uh, solar on it, or maybe that's one of their different ones, but yeah, they have no, one there's that has a, solar. Yeah, no, there's a solar option for the 6X. Yeah, uh, so that's interesting. <laughs> so I am just going to say I'm not super interested in doing any races where I have to charge my watch mid-race, Nicholas. Exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> That is the biggest uh, reason for me to stay with the Apple Watch Series 3 is my battery has a marathon and no more before it's going <laughs> to run out of charge. let you run any so farther. I'm stuck. That's as far as I can run. Yeah, it'd be an interesting race uh, where the finish line is when your watch dies. <laughs> 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 See who can get the farthest. So it's like oh, a, I would have to dig out my Garmin 245. Well, the funny thing is that could also be a race for the ages because you got to consider at what age do you start having, you know, the really bad technology, you know, you're not staying yeah. on top. Of it. <laughs> uh, so speaking of which, Gene, have you done one of these race for the ages where you run uh, X number of hours depending on your age? So if you're 70 years old, you run 70 hours. If you're 30 years old, you run 30 hours. And then the, the person who runs the most miles is the winner. I'd, I'd yeah, like to interject. You know, uh, he beat Roy Perung. Bundy, if you remember correctly. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, right. I did that. Uh, it's in the second year that they had that. Uh, uh, you know, it's old, one of Laz's races, the guy that does yep. the Barclays Marathons and the yeah. Backyard Ultra. And, uh, and uh, yeah, that was an experience. Uh, learned about a whole bunch of new things. 
then. I think probably I related to you that the only way I got through that was that when every time I complete a mile, you know, you're back to where you can quit. And the only way I could complete that was to adopt the mental attitude that there's nothing to quit to. This is my whole universe. Mm -hmm. Everything revolves around doing this routine over and over and over again. So when I got to the finish line, I just set out again. I mean, I really and there was no choice. So it wasn't a matter of, oh man, I resisted again. It was just, just keep on keeping on. And uh, uh, I think members said, don't, don't forget how stupid you can get. Um, yeah. My biggest moment there was, uh, let's see. Well, I've done a lot of stage races. You know, you run from point A to point B, spend the night, and then you go from point B to point C. And I was on uh, my second night or so, getting really tired and sleep deprived. And all of a sudden, the thought came into my mind, man, I am so tired. I can't even remember where this race was yesterday. <laughs> and <laughs> it, it really, it took me three or four minutes to figure out that, wait a minute, you know, I, I wasn't somewhere else yesterday. I was right <laughs> it's here. the same place. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, this, it's just inconceivable that you could be so stupid, but it, it happens when you're really, really tired. You uh, turned down opportunities to run the Barkley. Is that, is that correct? He's reached out to you. No, and offered, no, no. no. <laughs> you couldn't get me to apply for that. I, <laughs> you know, I mean, that is There's no everything I don't will, don't like about really really long races. It's all hiking. Uh, you, you're not allowed to have a GPX right. uh, file or or watch. It's you know navigating. I can get lost with the best of them. You know? so, <laughs> there's no way I could finish uh, finish one lap out there. Uh, no, it, it's it's way too hard. I mean, you're talking about you know something that only a few runners have ever ever completed. Right. Uh, there was another race that I also swore up and down that I would never attempt. That I'm beginning to think I might, and that's the uh, <laughs> that's the one in the uh, in the desert, Badwater. Uh, Badwater, yeah. The Badwater 135, yeah. I don't know why. I mean, uh, but you know, it's almost almost possible that I could consider it now. I guess once I realized that I would be the oldest ever finisher if I finished it that uh, right. I, I might give it a go, but I don't know. You got to be really strong. And, and, and basically, you know, the reason I couldn't finish these two hundreds is because I'm not fast enough to beat the cutoffs anymore. I have the stamina. I could keep on going, you know, give me another couple hours, but you have to beat those cutoffs. Now I couldn't beat the cutoff when they were really hard pretty soon it's only going to be a year or two before even on an easy course you know they'll probably say sorry you're too old <laughs> well you got to get that checked off before that happens then and uh, set that mark because we know somebody else that is trying to set the uh, oldest completion for the uh, bad water uh, and if you set the mark ahead of him that he would uh, there we go get a mm -hmm. little challenge accepted yeah, if I ever get into Western states, I'll probably have a shot at 
I think this is next year is the only year I have to dodge. I'll be in the lottery for the Western States next year. But if I get in and I'm finished, I won't be the oldest ever finisher. I would have to be the following year. So uh, uh, there, there's some kind of luck involved, I guess, in being in the oldest ever finisher. You've got you to gotta get in in the right year. Yeah. So going forward, what are some other uh, races on your bucket list that you haven't done yet that you you want to get in there and and try oh boy you uh i I keep a really long list of these things every time somebody mentions a race oh yeah that that sounds like (laughs) but uh well there's a uh there's the triple crown of 200s in the u.s that i've done and there's also the triple crown of 200s in australia and i've done one of them and uh it'd be kind of cool to do the remaining two of those. Um, remember I mentioned a 300 miler. Mm-hmm. They, they also have a 300 mile stage race out there. And that's uh, the one I'm thinking of doing, doing next year. I'll have to check now that I'm more familiar with my limitations based on these 200 this year, I'll look at the time and look at the hardness of the course and decide whether or not, you know, I have a reasonable, uh, reasonable chance of doing it. Uh, let's see. I'm trying to think. Well, sometimes other goals become mine, I suppose. I've never been one to pick off races just because they were part of a set in, in marathons. For instance, the uh, the marathon majors. You know, I've done three of them. I've done Boston, New York, and London. And uh, there's also Berlin, Chicago, and Tokyo to do. So I'll probably get around to doing those just because I've done most of them. I'm going to do Chicago next year. Uh, and I'd love to do Tokyo because I lived in Japan for a couple of years. And mm-hmm. so always look for an excuse to go back there. And uh, Berlin, well, just because I hear it's a uh, you know, nice, really fast marathon that everybody seems to enjoy. So I, if I'm doing the other five, I'd probably throw in Berlin. <laughs> might as well throw that one yeah, in too. Yeah. And I believe you might have a seventh because they're about to add a uh, another one, aren't they? Cape Town is that what? I don't think. Yeah, we heard rumors that. that Abbott's is going to add Cape Town to it. Mm. Well, I'm kind of annoyed with ones like London, though. I think they should yank that status from London because if you're going to have a major, then you've got to allow the elites to compete, and uh, that's not. No problem for elite elites, but for age group elites, you can't get into London. They don't have qualifiers, and so no matter uh, no matter how good I am, I can't compete for a win at London without you know some uh, odd way of getting in. I had to pay uh, a charity. What first year I did it? This year I get in because of the uh, the World Age Group Championships. But in general. Anybody who wants to uh, win that race and they're not a UK resident, it's, you know, the lottery is like less than 1% chance of getting in. I mean, it's just not, it's just, to me, you can't be considered a major if you don't let the elites in. So. Yeah. Right. So That's fair assessment. I, I didn't realize that you, they don't have like a 50 to 55 qualifying age time like the Boston would have like a, an age graded time that you can qualify to then in New York, New York, you can get in on a qualifying time. Um, but in New York's and Boston's qualifying times that applies to anybody in the world. UK right. has them, but only for, 
London has it, but only for UK residents. Yeah, well, I'm with you. Well, yeah, I think I well, think we're going to have to uh, bitch at our friend Chris White about this. Just yeah, well, and you know Martin Kerr, it's probably and, his fault. Oh man, let's uh, send a nasty gram <laughs> to Martin right now about it and have him get yeah, on. Yeah, we will. <laughs> Martin, if you could change that for Gene Dyke, that'd be fabulous. <laughs> Appreciate that. Not for me, for everybody. <laughs> Uh, and Tokyo, so, uh, you mentioned as well, if you, if you do get that on the list, you have to make sure and let uh, Fundy know because uh, he is the um, person to take to Tokyo with you if you want to have a good time. Uh-huh. Yeah, we'll go and I will be your uh, professional sweeper. I'll come in at the end and make sure you're finished. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Tokyo is also hard to get into. Right? Maybe not quite as hard as London, but I'm not sure they have qualifiers either. Well, I've heard that it's, quite a bit easier for non uh they have the opposite problem uh most japanese runners are angry because it's really hard to get into the tokyo marathon if you're japanese but it's much easier as a foreigner to get in mm. um uh that said i'm not sure if it's going to happen with covid going on one thing i'd like to touch on is uh uh what nicholas shared with me is a couple non-running stats just to show how crazy competitive you are is uh, you've uh, bowled a perfect bowling game how many times? Uh, I have four. Four Mm. perfect 300s bowling. Like Nicholas and I were pretty serious with our drunk uh, happy hour bowling league. And uh, three bowling a three hundred is is really really yeah. hard. You know, mentally challenging. Those last three frames can really be a well it's, a mind a mind fuck to. <laughs> I, I frequently tell people think of the time in your life when you were the most nervous. You know, handshaking or just stomach heaving. You're just really really nervous. Multiply it by ten, and that's what it's like after you've gotten the first eleven strikes and you're striding up there for your 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 12th ball it just uh it just totally totally uh yeah i i always have to spend uh like two minutes over the hair air dryer there trying to keep my my hand is just dripping and uh, (laughs) wow it's and i think you could probably drive a truck through the bowling alley i wouldn't even notice you know the whole Mm -hmm. rest of the world is totally totally gone uh yeah, it's that's really nerve wracking. Yeah, and and funny you'd appreciate as a, a team member. Uh, Gene had a little patience for those that didn't show up each week, wanting to bowl better every single week. Exactly. Why would you not? Exactly. Uh, so, Gene, with that, I started league on Wednesday and uh, opened mm-hmm. with a six oh eight. I thought you would appreciate All that. All right. You opened with it. Yeah. 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 yeah which means know, is is this the kind of thing where you have to maintain you know, you have a, you have your average set the first night for a while and it'll take yep. a while to, yeah, so you're yeah. Supposed so to you screwed bowl, yourself. You're supposed to intentionally bowl terrible that first night. Well, that's what everyone says. And, uh, I obviously the math would support that because if I'd come in really crappy, then mm-hmm. I can build up for the rest of the season. Um, but I also am a, um, believer that anytime you deliberately don't put out your best effort, uh, you are just setting yourself up for some really bad karma and yeah. it's, it's just a poor season. So I didn't do that. And I went out and had a good time and, uh, <laughs> I pulled a 608. There you go. Also, I went That's back impressive. and looked at my stats and, uh, I hadn't bowled a 600 series in a couple leagues and that bothered me. So I remedied that. <laughs> well, I hope, hope, hope that means you got a good season coming up. 
Yeah, I hope so too. I'm just glad I got a season coming up. It's nice to have that back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also wanted to uh, highlight uh, that Gene is a scratch golfer. Oh, uh, well, no, I was never scratched. Uh, I was about a four handicap for quite a few years back in grad school days. Uh, and, uh, well, and right now I'm just not barely holding my, my game together, being about a 16 handicapper. I played, uh, well, it's sort of like a relay in that it's a social thing. I went up and played with uh, 16 other guys up in uh, New Hampshire last weekend. And believe it or not, each guy threw $750 into the prize pool. And we, we, we played for that. So <laughs> this is more money than I've ever, ever been able to have a chance at, at, at making. And the first, there were five events, and the first four were team events. And, and I contributed, but boy, I got strong teams. Every team I played on just played really strong. So I won the first four events. And, uh, and then it came to individual. I was winning the first, through about six holes. You know, I was leading my group, and they were sure I was going to be the winner of my, uh, my flight. And then I shot a nine, an eight, a nine. <laughs> I, I said, yeah. uh, you know, your true talent always bubbles up to the top eventually. <laughs> yeah. I, so did you come home with any money? Yeah. I, uh, yeah. I won 1300. So. Oh, nice. Yeah. Got, got your entry in and a little bit back and. Yeah. I got within a hundred dollars of the whole, whole weekend fee. Yeah. So Nice. But. Generally, what happens when I'm out on the golf course is people nod and say, yeah, we see why you gave up golf for running. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm told that's I should never even thought to get back on the golf course. <laughs> you know, I get out there because it's a beautiful place to be. Mm-hmm. Well, and you had I, a, a couple holes in ones as well. Well, I have one hole in one and one better. I had a double eagle once. You know, oh, that's right. Par five. So. Uh, uh, so my bucket list for, for golf is complete. Good thing. I mean, good thing. I finally got that hole in one. That was, the, <laughs> that, that, that one's a tough one because it's, you know, there's some luck in getting a 300 game and, you know, you have to throw 12 good wins and not get tapped. But in golf, uh, you can't get a hole in one without uh, a lot of luck. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you just, uh, raise your chances by being better. Yeah, I think the only way to increase your chances uh, hole in one is just to play uh, one of those par three courses where every hole is a par three. Mm-hmm. Right. I was thinking more of the uh, uh, hole nine, the lighthouse at the uh, pitch and, and then yeah, the putt putt course. That's <laughs> that's my hole in one option. Yeah, that doesn't count. No, <laughs> no, that uh, doesn't count. Well, you, 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 you have can't to get carry. It the, you have to get it through the clown's mouth first. Oh, that's right. Oh man, that's <laughs> exactly. what always holds me yep. back. An old clown. <laughs> Well, so Gene, what's uh, beyond the uh, London and the Boston? Uh, do you have anything else the rest of the year, or what are you looking forward to in uh, near near future? Well, I have one ten k after that, and then I'll be off uh, the rest of the year, starting mid November. Uh, um, I'm going to go see a, a total eclipse of the sun in in. Oh, December. that's right. We talked about that. And, yeah. And uh, that's coming up. 
No, where uh, where are you going for that again? Is that in the yeah. southeast Asia Pacific? No, Antarctica. No. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So you want to talk about a cool place to see a total eclipse is Antarctica. Uh, cool place. I see how you how you did. Bum bum. <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, and this well, you've you've done multiple. You, I, I, I want to sit on that for a second because uh, when we talked, you highlighted that as something that was you know really um, you know personal thing for you. I mean, talk a little bit about these total eclipses. Well, if you haven't seen a total eclipse of the sun, more than running a two hundred mile or getting a hole in one or or bowling a three hundred game, put seeing a total eclipse of the sun on your list. The number one thing you have to do. Uh, before you die it's it, it's amazing and don't be fooled by having seen an eclipse before i've lots of people oh, i've seen a total eclipse but they were just you know where it was partial you know not where the, the shadow was and uh, uh you know on a scale of one to 100 seeing a partial eclipse is a one and seeing a total eclipse is a 100 yeah, i mean it's just an awesome experience and um and we, li- we like to combine it with you know, doing something you'd always wanted to do anyway. I mean, a lot of people spend big bucks to travel to see an eclipse. And, uh, and that's, you know, the primary reason. But we do it scuba diving or uh, in here taking an Antarctic cruise. Uh, if you're in the U.S. listening to this, there's an eclipse in 2024. Mm-hmm. It goes through Texas, Missouri, Ohio, New Hampshire, Maine. You know, probably a little bit of state new york get yourself on that center line somewhere and uh and take it in if you didn't see the one a few years ago that went all the way across coast to coast you know shame on you it's uh just something you got to do and my one my one tip all you'll hear from all these pundits who have never seen an eclipse but will tell you that you must never 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 you know, look at the sun. Well, you know, that it's just that's just crazy talk. Uh, obviously, you don't <laughs> stare at the sun. But have you ever looked at the sun? Sure you have. How many times have you gone blind? You know, never. <laughs> and especially the last 20 seconds or so before totality, there's all kinds of really interesting things to see. And again, don't stare. But if you don't, you know, if you keep those dark glasses on until everybody around you is ooing and aahing, then, uh, you know, you've missed missed half the experience so glance at the sun now and then but don't stare Uh, i absolutely agree i was able to take advantage of the last time it came through uh literally went right through where my father lives so made it really easy to um get there and watch the eclipse and it is it is not anything that you can compare there is no gradual slightly betterness you either saw the total eclipse in the band of totality or you didn't. And that's just the way that it is. So take that advice. If you can get yourself there, it is an amazing sight. It is something that you should take in before you die. Mm -hmm. So as we always do, Gene, uh, what words of old crazy wisdom do you have for all the listeners out there? Oh my, well, I mean, I can't reuse whatever I said last time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, actually, you can. We've forgotten it. <laughs> yeah, this is, we're all old <laughs> enough. We don't remember what you said. So who knows? <laughs> yeah, so you might and you might not. That's the beauty. Yeah, could be brand new old advice. 
Yeah, well, I guess I've demonstrated that, uh, well, it's easy to see I'm getting old, and I've demonstrated that I'll still be eager to do crazy things. But uh, it's just, just so important to realize that uh, you can continue doing crazy things when you're old instead of just sitting back and opening up a beer and watching TV and being bored in retirement. Oh, it's just uh, just so many crazy things out there to do. And uh, and uh, you guys are, you know, cluing me in on a few things that I've, I've missed out on. Uh, yeah. You know, doing a 200-mile relay from the Mount Hood to the coast. It's kind of crazy when you think about it. And, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and uh, I'll probably look for more adventures like that now that uh, I've been clued in. So keep your eyes open for crazy things to do. I think you also got to go looking for them as well, uh, because you definitely don't shy away from trying to find them. They don't just fall in your lap. Well, thanks again, Gene, for joining us. Uh, you are a huge inspiration, not only for running, but also for bowling. All right. Well, thanks for uh, letting me spout off here. For I, you know, I never get tired of talking about running. So when I describe Gene Dykes as an alien, I hope that interview really emphasizes why that is 100% true. Well, just, you know, little things like the fact like, ah, I, you know, I, I, I think I'm done with 200, so I, I guess I'll do a 300. Right, right. <laughs> or, you know, I ran two, that first 200 that he's talking about, first of all, I like also how things go from one to something more than that. I had two 200 milers on the schedule. The first one was 250 miles, which is not a 200 miler. It's a 250 <laughs> miler. miler. He just, you know, just lopped that last little 50 miles off because he's not even thinking about it. Uh, running across horrible terrain. I, I mean, I can imagine when we talk about when we're up on, on the trails, the first things that I noticed were the worst patches to go through were the little root mazes yeah. mm-hmm. and the rock beds. Yeah. And that's exactly, I mean, my feet, because no matter if you land somewhat with, at least a little bit of security in your step, your foot is all rocked out of position. 200 miles, 250 (laughs) miles of that. And he's happy because, you know, he got through 130 altogether. Just crazy. I, 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 yeah, I think I would have had like three miles of that. I mean, it's like, whatever, keep my entry. (laughs) (laughs) And the buckle. Yeah. I'm not that invested. Yeah, just uh, crazy. I do feel bad for him that he pulled his hamstring on yeah. the hood to coast, which is fun, but it's really a namby-pamby race. Like, it's not a hard, like, it's it's hard and it's taxing, but anybody can really do a hood to coast. And to uh, pull your hamstring on that when you're getting ready to attempt a world record at the London Marathon, is that kind of sucks. Most definitely. I mean, this was not the race that he was trying to set any sort of mark. It was just enjoying a good time with with some friends. And, and so definitely the worst opportunity to get uh, an injury that's going to then impact something that's way more important in the upcoming upcoming days. Uh, I do want to emphasize, though, that sitting in the van, that is an under uh, appreci- underrated aspect of the race and it really is why you have to approach your runs a little bit differently you can't just look at it and say oh it's five miles i can do five miles 
Well, <laughs> I just I just thought of a new race format. Okay. Uh, it's the chair marathon. So you run a marathon, but every five miles you got to stop and sit in the chair for an hour. Oh man, <laughs> a full hour. You can watch TV, you can watch a movie, but you have to sit for an hour before you get to 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 run again. Uh, I like where you're going with that, and and the chair is going to be in a position where you can't actually extend your legs. They have to be bent in a sitting position because, like, you have a seat in front of you the whole time. Well, all you need to do, all you need to do, is to get one of those uh, old school high school desks. Yes. Where you're in that plastic, shitty plastic or, or wooden chair and there's, uh, you know, the desk with with a foot stopper ahead of you. And you, you, you would have people watching the runners to make sure their legs Time. didn't go past those foot stopper railings. That's right. That'd, that'd be a disqualifying. And then, uh, you know, a, a fan blowing obnoxious no- smells, uh, <laughs> you know, exhaust and salami and feet. Or and and you're only allowed to eat old school cafeteria food. Okay, that's, <laughs> I don't know. I'm I'm kind of on board with that. There, there's an appeal there for me. That's kind of weird. <laughs> or, <laughs> Wiener wraps and tater tots and and mushy mm, spinach. Yeah, keep going, keep going. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, that, you know, and I know that uh, he, he. You know what? We actually we need to consider Gene for uh, the. Um, uh, Windy River. Yeah, just a one dayer. That'd just the one, the one dayer. Uh, I think for one, not having that really that that delay time, it makes it a lot easier. Plus, uh, we wouldn't be asking him to to look at a different team necessarily. That'd be a lot of fun. Such an inspiration. We really hope that uh, you love this interview with Gene. Uh, he's. I think he's got a couple more world records left in him. Oh, I have no doubt, and I look forward to talking with him as he breaks them. Thanks again for joining us for another episode of Old Crazy Runners. Take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast and tell all your friends how much you love listening in. And be sure to go by Strava and join the Old Crazy Runners Podcast Run Club because that's where all us old crazies hang out and that's where we encourage each other to keep getting out there, keep putting in the miles, and keep being old crazy runners. <laughs>